those wedded to the machines in their bedrooms, their studios, their best friend's garage or basement. For those who negotiate the system every day to make time for the music that matters. For those who get in debt to fund the fight against the mundane. For those who stay true to their cause even in the face of income and fame from compromise. For those who feel the power of every beat. For those who keep their minds open. For those who encourage and support those pursuing their personal dream. For those who sacrifice relationships to make sure the music is heard. For those for which the music is a lifetime, not a pastime. This is bass. Agenda, 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 agenda. This is my cash. You are listening to this agenda. A warning may come quite unexpectedly. We will now tell you what to do if a warning sounds when you are at home. And then we will explain what to do if you are out of doors. First, if you are at home. If attack is imminent, you will hear the attack sound like this. your young children to the fallout room, then go quickly and turn off the gas and the electricity at the mains. Close down stoves. Damp down fires. Shut windows. And draw curtains. Then go to your fallout room and stay there. If the fallout warning sounds are heard, they will be like these. You should now move yourself and your family to the safest area in your fallout room. That is, you should get inside your inner refuge and stay there. After two days, the danger from fallout will get less, but don't take any risks by contact with it. The longer you stay in your refuge, the better it will be for you. Listen to your radio. Stay where you are and keep listening to your radio. 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 and welcome to Base Agenda. Got a massive show for you this week. If it is possible to overdose on electro, this is the time it's going to happen, I reckon. We've got Mike Ash taking up the first couple of hours, interview, selections, live set, lots to talk about, some really, really great stuff. Following that, we've got something great up from Craft Jerks, DJ Kid Jenseng, bringing a nice 15 minutes of turntablism, Nervous Needles Volume 4 features uh, DMC champion DJ Traps as well. And then we've got a fantastic mix by ADJ, a little preview of his selected transmissions from the Pyramid album coming out soon on For Those That Know. I'll chip in every now and again for the first hour or so. We've got Mike Ash. <laughs> Ash. 
like electronic pop and that sort of thing and then in 1983 breakdancing came out and really exploded in the UK and I was introduced to electro um, mainly via the street sounds electro compilations I, I think the third the first one that really grabbed me was a uh, crucial electro and it had things like uh, a lean release yourself um, Hashim and now Fish the Soul. Um, I think there was a Captain Rock track on there. But yeah, that, that whole album was just fantastic. And uh, that music just captivated me. You know, you'd go along to um, people breakdancing on the street, and what I was interested in was the sounds that were coming out of the boombox rather than people spinning on their heads and stuff. I was terrible at it. I did try. There was something in me that was always interested in sound and making music. I was into computers and stuff, and um, like when I was about 11, I got uh, an Atari 400 and a Commodore 64, and prior to that, I'd had like a ZX81, which didn't make any sound, and then I got these two new computers that could make sound, and I was just absolutely thrilled with the first time I got any noises out of the things. I just used to sit there programming these strange loops and stuff to make just these really weird noises. And um, that, that sort of really triggered it off of me. And then, you know, following on from the breakdancing thing, I got a dual cassette deck boombox. 
I was into taking tapes, uh, things like Paul Hardcastle, and because uh, you know, like the record 19 that was out at the time that was really big, and I had the Paul Hardcastle album, and I had Herbie Hancock's album with Rocket on it and stuff, and I'd take the tapes and I'd edit them together, do a tape to tape, and chop it up and um, make new little remixes out of things. And then, um, yeah, when I was about 16, thought I'd turn my hand to the DJ thing from watching the DMC mixing championships and that sort of thing and I bought a couple of really cheap decks from Tandy and this little mixer and uh, my record collection was about I must have had about 10 records or something at the time and I was thought I was going to get into all scratching and that sort of thing not long after that the whole like acid house explosion took over and I started going to acid house parties and raves and that was it I was just absolutely blown away by the music that was coming out and hearing it loud and that sort of venue and that's what made me and I just thought to myself I want to make this music I really want to make this music and I didn't have much of an idea of what was involved in doing it I was at I met this guy and uh, he just put out a record and um, I, I managed to get talking to him and I just quizzed him on what it was he was using and how he went about doing it and um, off the back of that I ended up buying my first synth and stuff yeah the first synth I bought um, wasn't really a synth as such it was more of a home keyboard because I didn't really know what I was buying but I bought a Yamaha PSS 780 and I got that through my mum's catalogue and I was paying for that monthly um, but it actually had a little two operator FM synth on it so you could program your own sounds. Uh, I've actually still got it and I still occasionally use it and it's got this really gritty, dirty sort of sound to it. Uh, I think it's great, yeah, I still really like it. But my first sort of proper synth was a uh, Roland Juno 6 which I bought uh, late 89, early 90 and I actually played a few gigs with that at, um, at a club in London uh, with a drum machine and uh, my PSS 780 doing some sort of like quasi acid house type stuff. And I played a couple of gigs at a club called Labyrinth. That was under the name of, a, the, I think it was the Audio Assault Squad, which ended up getting shortened down and some of the records I released on Rising High were under the name of Audio Assault.
Over the years, I mean, I've I've owned everything. Like I, I, I was constantly buying and selling synths, and I've owned pretty much every vintage synth that's been out there. But um, a few years ago, around 2015, everything started breaking down. All these like 30-year-old classics started going wrong. I was constantly having to get them repaired. Every time I go in the studio, something else would be going wrong, and I, 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 got, I got fed up with that. And um, and I ended up selling everything off and just bought all new modern stuff with like, you know, I was fed up with all the little conversion boxes you needed to go to like between digital and analog and that sort of thing. And I just sold everything off and bought all new modern stuff with like USB connectivity and that sort of thing. Um, I used to have a complete room just totally full of synths. Now I've got like five synths, only two keyboards um, and a few other bits and pieces. The one I like the best is probably the Roland JDXA, which I bought. Um, I bought that in 2015. Um, it's a very unique synth. It's a hybrid analog digital, and you can mix and match between digital and analog, and the, you can have the layers affecting each other. Uh, it, it sounds great, and it's um, that's that's the main synth I use for like big epic strings and pads and sort of soundscapes, which it, it ends up on everything I do. I wish I'd hung on to them all. I mean, I had all, all of the Roland XOX series, you know, 101, 202, 303, 505, 606, 707, 808, 909. I, I had the whole lot. And, um, you know, they, they were my thing. I'm really into the whole sort of Roland sound because to me, that's what sculpted sort of Acid House. It was all mainly based around those Roland machines. And I love them. And, uh, yeah, I, I do. I, I regret not having them anymore but I don't regret them breaking down and having to try and fix them all the time.
It was uh, it, that track just came together, and um, it was a bit different to what I'd already been doing. Um, I'm a bit of history in like the 1990s. I really got into this whole UFOs and alien abduction, um, and it was initially triggered by watching the X Files. But I went on and I read loads of books, and I went to a couple of sen- seminars, and the whole idea of it fascinated me. I mean, I'm not saying I don't. I, I don't know if it's true, I don't know if it's not, but the things I was reading were like, um, you know, you got these people that are claiming they've been abducted by aliens, and you get these people from all countries all around the world, you know, giving pretty much the same description of what's happened to them. And this is before the internet, this is before people really spoke to each other, you know, you'd have a like a rich American businessman and a peasant woman in Russia that were both explaining the same thing that was happening to them. And there, there was no way that these people would be talking to each other. And to me, it's like, there's definitely something going on here. They're either being abducted by aliens or they're all suffering from the same mental health problem. And um, I, I just found the whole thing really interesting. And uh, yeah, I, th- there's been quite a lot of Bob Lazar vocal snippets in my music. Yeah, I mean he's a he's a very interesting character. The funny thing is, I mean, he came out with this stuff in I think it was the late 80s when he was saying that he was working on uh, retrieved uh, alien vehicles, and he explained things like about how they worked and uh, what their fuel source was. I think it was like Element 115 or something. And at the time, that didn't exist, and it's only been in the last few years. That that's that they've actually managed to synthesize that in laboratories and stuff. And he's like, well, I was telling you about this years ago. And there's actually been um, some news in the last few days. The New York Times has published two articles that are basically saying that the Pentagon is saying, we've got this stuff, uh, we don't know where it came from, we don't know how it works, but we, we've got it. They released last year, they released footage from uh, US Navy pilots, um, basically with UFOs. And they're saying, these are UFOs. We're not saying they're alien, but we don't know what they are, and they're flying objects. So, they are UFOs. Yeah, I mean, at the time, uh, there was a lot of electro that's all about, like, you know, robots and the future and sci-fi, and I thought, aliens, why not? So I threw it in. On the Spot of Sounds uh, radio show, when that was actually playing live, they used to have a chat room going, and I used to always join the chat, and uh, I met quite a few cool people. I met, like, Des Williams, uh, Robert Cosmic, uh, Hidden Persuader, 
various people and Robert approached me and asked me if I'd be interested in doing an EP for Mars Frequency and um, that was the Alien Invasion EP I did which had a Ducks experiment on it and then I did the second one uh, Robots and People and on that I did the track Threat Detection and I, I felt like at the time it, it, it also marked a change in the sound that I was doing it's got this like, really squelchy acid line in it and um, this like high pitched blippy sort of lead and I just felt that that track really worked at the time it, it was something different I hadn't really tried it before it, it just sort of came together and yeah I like it I still like it now this is Eric Mode and you're listening to Bass Agenda sensitivity to perceptual stimuli, accompanied by significantly increased threat detection. Thank you. 
Introduced to SoundCloud by someone. I actually sold a sampler to somebody, and they came around and they said, "Oh, you want, you should get on SoundCloud. You know, it's all it's all happening now." And I did. I got on SoundCloud and I had a look around, and um, one of the people that I was sort of quite interested in their taste in music was listening to a thing called the um, 808 Electro Show, which is Johan's Dark Science Dark Science Electro Show, and. Um, I was listening to that, and that, that was absolutely blowing me away. And I remember I, I heard a track on there, um, Minimum by R21. And I thought that was something really, really special. And I thought, started looking into that. I, I actually got in contact with him and told him just that I thought your music was great. And we got talking, and I told him a bit about like my history and what I'd done before. And he said, oh, you should know. You should try making some of this stuff, see what you come up with. And um, I, I did a, I did a, a track, and... Um, which was Stop the Machines. And that actually ended up being my first release on Final Lord Productions. And, um, but yeah, I sent, I sent him uh, Stop the Machines. He sent that to Chris Spotter and Chris played it on his show. And uh, that was my first exposure of like electro being played by anybody.
voice in electronic and dance music. Deep Space Radio. DeepSpaceRadio.com Now that the sound barrier has been cracked, the thermal or heat barrier is the goal of the experimental X-2 rocket plane. The stainless steel bullet designed to stand speeds of more than 2,000 miles an hour is released. On these tests, the rocket plane is not fueled, but in future rounds, when it attains maximum velocity, heat developed by friction may reach more than 1,000 degrees. Here, the ability of metal and alloys to withstand the heat are expected to provide valuable data for projected spaceships and satellites. The slim metal ship may furnish some of the answers as the world enters the space age. Space Age was the first track on the UFO uh, 3030 album, which uh, I did by yourself. And um, yeah, I, mean, I, I came to you and I said, I want to release an album. I've always wanted to do an album. And you're like, cool. Yeah, I'm up for it. So um, went off and I was just writing tracks and I was just writing track after track. And it, to, to me, it, it didn't have any direction. It was just a collection of electro tracks. But that one, I think I wrote quite late in the, it was probably the second to last track I actually wrote. And to me, it's just like, yeah, that one, yeah, that works. And I thought, yeah, I want that to be the first track on the album. And it sort of set the theme for the whole thing. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I like that. lots of other people and I'm like I want to do stuff like that and then when I actually sit down and start doing stuff it doesn't come out anywhere near what I originally planned it to come out like 
Um, but I, I take a lot of influence from a lot of different styles of electronic music. You know, I still listen to 80s synth pop, um, listen to Acid House, uh, Belgian techno, um, modern electro, modern Acid House. Um, I listen to all sorts of stuff from like the 80s, well, the late 70s with craft work and stuff, up until now. And I take influence from just little tiny things. I might like hear a hi-hat pattern or something from a record from the 70s and think I'll do something like that, but electro. And I take just influence from all these different styles of music. I'm constantly listening to different styles of music. And most of the time, I'm not listening to the style of music that I'm actually making at that point in time. And that, that's just how it comes out. And the other thing, I mean, is if anything, after 30 years of doing this, I'm actually less confident in my production than I was 30 years ago. I'm like, I, you know, whenever I've done a track, I'm like, I could have mixed that better, could have arranged that better. I'm always trying new things. And I always think there's always room for improvement. I mean, rewinding back to sort of like 1993, I'd had like, I'd had a good few records out and they were all doing really well. And I, I just felt at the time, I mean, I was young, I was only like 20, 21 or something at the time, but I just had this attitude about me of whenever I put finger to keyboard, I'll write a hit. And I was writing shit, basically. And yeah, and that's one of the times I thought to so hang on, stop, rewind, start again. And um, yeah, I'm still learning all the time.
Cybertones on the latest album, Kilobytes, that I did with Base Agenda Recordings. Um, that was, I mean, Cyber, the album came out uh, December 2019. I actually wrote Cybertone in 2018. Um, I just sat down, write some new electro tracks, and um, I just thought I'd, I wanted a change in style, really. I mean, I, my original stuff was all around 136 BPM. Um, it had all sci-fi and alien samples and stuff like that. And it was all sort of quiet, dance floor orientated, and it was sort of on the harder sort of edge of things. And I, I'm getting old now, and I, I, you know, I wanted to soften up a bit. And Cybertone was the first track I wrote. It's slower, it's about, I think it's 130 BPM. Uh, no vocals, um, much more stripped back. There's only like four or five tracks going on in there apart from the drums. And um, yeah, that was the first one that I wrote in that new sort of style, which is, seems to be the way that I'm carrying on with things now. Cash so far, some great stories too. Now it's time to check out a couple of his influences. A classic from Anthony Rota coming up in a moment, but before that, the mighty craft work of Tour de France, the Francois K remix.
In the 80s, as I said earlier, as a kid, you know, I was into more the electronic side of pop. And, um, you know, I think I like things like, you know, Kraftwerk, The Model, things like that. And then the Francois K remix of Tour de France was just, it was just, just had this sort of tougher edge to it compared to Kraftwerk's normal stuff. You know, everyone in electro loves Kraftwerk. And um, this was a real dance floor orientated track. And it was used in uh, Breakdance the movie in that scene with um, Turbo dancing with the mop. And um, it was one of the first records I bought with my pocket money, and I just played it endlessly. It's still, I still think the production and it stands up today. It was through watching the movie that I heard that track. I think it must have got in the charts around the same time as well. You know, and I put two and two together, and I was like off to Woolworths with my pocket money. I'm like, I'm having that on a seven inch.
I was really late to hearing any of this. I mean, when it came out, I think it was like 97. I wasn't actually listening to electro around that time. I think I was actually listening to sort of some like sort of two-step drum and bass, like Head Rush and Optical and that sort of thing at the time. And um, I'd completely missed it. And uh, it was about 2005 or something. And um, so it was in the middle of my break from music that um, this guy I know that was really into like hip hop and sort of instrumental hip hop, trip hop sort of stuff, really. Um, he, uh, like DJ Shadow, that kind of thing he was into. Uh, he gave me this mix that was just called Electro and he said, you like this old Electro stuff, um, thought you might like this. And the thing was, the mix wasn't old stuff, it was all, well, it, it wasn't classic 80s Electro, it was like more, the more modern sort of thing. And on that mix it had, you know, Anthony Rotter, Jeffen Hyde, IBM, and that music, it just really stuck out to me. And, you know, the Anthony Rotter stuff, Sex With The Machines, um, Destroying My Robots, that sort of thing was on there. And yeah, Sex With Machines, I just heard that and it was just, I thought if I ever get to get back into making music, I want to make stuff like this. <laughs> I 
main thing they do is re-release old hardcore classics from like 91, 92 and um, they get in touch with the artists and the labels and stuff and they get the original masters and they repress them and they're, they're doing really well. But I mean I was talking to Robin, basically Robin, um, when he first got in touch with me, he got in touch with Casper Pound's daughter, Casper who used to run Rising Art Records. And she basically inherited the rights to the label after Casper died. And um, she had all of the DAT tapes for all of the demos, all of the releases. She had like, boxes and boxes full of DAT tapes. And what Robin was doing is he was going through and digitizing all of this stuff to preserve it. Um, but off the back of that, he started releasing vinyl. And um, he does, like I said, he mainly does old school, hardcore breakbeat stuff but he does do a few new releases and it's through him that my little label runs and I put out Acid House Techno and um, quite small runs a couple of hundred some sort of like the last thing I did was some sort of, sort of quasi 1991 rave bleep hardcore crossover sort of thing and that's actually gone down really really well it's probably my most popular thing I've done in years
um, stuff I've got in the pipeline. Um, I've got a electro and techno vinyl EP coming out on a new interesting label. Uh, I don't really want to say too much about it to spoil the surprise. But um, I was really honoured when they approached me and their back catalogue contains a lot of my musical heroes. And then I've got, uh, I should have, um, uh, some Acid House and Techno stuff coming out on Super Rhythm tracks and my own label, No Survivors. Still in the process of finishing those off at the moment. Um, I've got a couple of other projects coming on. Don't really want to, once again, I can't really say too much because they're not 100% definite now. But a couple of weeks ago, I was approached by the boss of a label and I've been asked to remix a track from one of Rave Era's biggest producers. And then, yeah, like, like I said, I'd, I'd like to take this um, live set that I've done for you and expand on it and hopefully come out with a new album from it. there you go we've explored the electro side of Mike Ash also the acid house acid techno side of him too now it's time to turn our attention again to uh, other artists a couple of tracks that Mike's chosen that have impressed him lately kicking off with another piece of acid this time from Post Human tracks called Polywater Acid
yeah, it's, to me, I mean, that, that's just a great piece of music. It's not your typical 16th note, 303 pattern and a drum machine banging away. It's a proper, proper piece of music. And there's loads of space in the sound and the drums and percussion. It's just, just there's just space for the whole thing to breathe. And the bass line's awesome. And the pads are absolutely amazing. I mean, it's an eight minute long track and the pads don't come in until about six and a half minutes through. And to me, they're like the highlight of the track, but you just got to wait for it. Thank you. 
track to come before we get into Mike's uh, live studio set, exclusive set for the show. Some really, really cool stuff. All new tracks for you. Mike's going to tell you a little bit about that shortly. First up, nice track from Jensen Interceptor. Keep Electro on your agenda at facebook.com slash agenda. to a lot of music by other people like I say to you I don't get the time to listen to it but like I say it's quite often what I'm listening to and what I'm making are just completely different things at the same time I remember when I was um, when I was working on Killer Bikes recently I was listening to Dead Mouse of all things 
don't know why. Yeah, I, I was just, you know, I was on, on listening to my phone on the train and Spotify. If it's electronic, I'll listen to it. You know, I'm not, I'm not one of these snobs that go, oh, I don't listen to Jungle War, I don't listen to, oh, Dead Mouse, that's EDM, I don't listen to that. I'll listen to everything, and I'll take influence from absolutely everything. But it might just be like, you know, just the way it's programmed a certain drum pattern or something like that. I'll just, I'll just think like, oh, the way that the bass interacts with the kick drum, and I'm like, yeah. When it comes to Jensen Interceptor, I love it all. Um, I went for a phase earlier this year, and I was just listening to Jensen Interceptor, all day, every day for about a month. You know, it's like, is it electro? Is it techno? Is it something in between? I don't know, I just think it's great, all of it. And um, yeah, he's, he's just got this style, he's got this sound, and it, and it just works. Life set is um, one great big long sequence, which is um, on my computer in my sequencer. I've got a big long marker track that goes on for about 45 minutes, and it just reminds me where to chop and change. Otherwise, I'll end up playing with the same thing and have it looping around for an hour. And um, so I've got this marker track um, that just tells me when to change, and it's got it, the computer sends out sync to my drum machines and synthesizers that are all playing their own patterns. But then the computer also sends out program changes to make sure that I change, even if I forget to. And um, basically, I've just got these patterns and sequences playing, and I'm just jamming around with it live. It took me about a month to write that. I was the original plan was to write ten tracks, and um, that would be about three minutes long each. So I'd end up with about half an hour's worth of music. Um, but as I was putting it together and I was doing the transitions between the tracks. They were getting shorter. They were coming out at like two, two and a half minutes. And I did 10 tracks and I, I sort of did a test run of it. And it came out at like 25 minutes. And I'm like, that's not long enough. And uh, so I'm like, I'm going to do another 10 tracks. And I'm going to make 20 tracks. And I'm like, and I got up to the end of track 17. And I was just like, I'm happy with that. If I carry on anymore, I'm not going to be happy with it. I'm going to start writing crap, basically. So that's it. Stop.
is Dave Clark and you're listening to Bass Agenda.
amazing live set from Mike Ash there. Thanks to him for taking uh, so much time over putting it together. As Mike said earlier, we're hoping to turn that into, uh, develop it up into an album at some point in 2021. Keep an eye out for that. Now for something a bit different, some turntablism, Kid Ginseng from Craft Jerks. Really cool thing called Nervous Needles 4. You can grab yours from Craft Jerks. That's Craft with a K, J-E-R-K-Z.bandcamp.com. Enjoy this, then we've got ADJ in the mix.
Yo, this is the Egyptian Love, and you're listening to the Base Agenda Radio Show, baby. You talking to me? Who the f do you think you're talking to? Oh, yeah? Don't shoot him!
<笑>お前が弱いのではないあとはわしに任せろ
Coming up next, we've got ADJ in the mix. 40 minutes or so of music from his new album on For Those That Know. That's No as in K-N-O-E. Selected transmissions from the Pyramid. They've worked together with ADJ. Go back through his discography. Get a lot of really cool tracks onto vinyl. Really nice collection, as you're going to find out any second now. This is ADJ and you are listening to Bass Agenda.
Heidi Sabertooth, and you are listening to Base Agenda.
Helena Hauf und ihr hört Base Agenda Radio.
Sestrian and you're listening to Bass Agenda. Thank you. 
stuff from ADJ. Make sure you support him and his new album. Make sure you support Craft Jerks. Make sure you support Mike Cash and all the artists that you've heard today, especially in these times. Lots of great effort going into making great music for you. Hope you've enjoyed the show. The whole thing will be available on soundcloud.com slash bassagenda. Also on bassagenda.co.uk and via iTunes at some point over the weekend. Full track list included for that too. I'll be back in uh, three or four weeks with a brand new episode featuring Lee Coombs. Until then, have yourselves a good weekend. Stay safe and I'll catch you soon. Cheers. again a little bit of bonus material for you on this one the uh, interview i did with mike ash we had a really long conversation uh couldn't quite squeeze it all into the radio slot so i've got a little bit left over wanted to make sure you guys heard it interesting story about uh, his coming to work with rising high also uh, if you remember back in the original show he uh, mentioned taking a break from music and then coming back so there's an interesting story about uh, how that break came about and why so a little bit more music coming up. We were going to play something of Mike's from Rising High, but we decided we'd play one of his favourite tracks from the label that uh, really kind of got him into the label, made him want to work with them. So we're going to kick off with The Hypnotist, a track called Pioneers of the Warped Groove. <laughs> Let us pray. Let us pray. 
yeah, in sort of 1991, I'd just put out my first record on uh, Moving Shadow, and uh, that had gone down pretty well. Moving Shadow wasn't really moving in the direction I wanted to go in. They were more breakbeat, and they were heading towards like the jungle sort of sound of things. I'd heard um, a couple of records by The Hypnotist, uh, who was on Rising High, and, and I thought these records were something really special. I mean, they sounded like, like heavy European techno, but they were made in the UK. And where I was working in London at the time was actually just around the corner from Rising High's office. And um, I phoned them and uh, spoke to a guy on the phone, and he said, oh, the guy you want to speak to is a guy called Casper. And uh, he was just impossible to get hold of. He would just never, never speak to me. And I used to phone and phone and phone, and I rang for weeks, weeks on end. Eventually, he spoke to me. And as soon as I mentioned that I'd released, I actually released something on another label as opposed to just sending a demo, he was interested in speaking to me. So I went down to their studios in, in my lunch break in a suit and tie and uh, sat down with Casper uh, and a couple of other people in this little pre-production studio and played him some tapes. And uh, yeah, they were really, really into it. And they basically said to me, go off, record an EP um, and come back to us. And a week later, I was back with a six track EP that I'd, I'd just gone straight home and started recording it. And uh, that six track EP ended up being um, Interface Toy Town EP, which was absolutely massive at the time. And that's, that's the biggest record that I've ever sold. And I really didn't have a clue what I was doing when I was doing it. When I submitted um, the Toy Town EP, which I didn't name, I didn't come up with, I, I didn't come up with the name of the group, like the band name Interface, I didn't come up with that, I didn't come up with the title. I just recorded some tracks and gave them to them. And it was Casper who decided of the name and what to call the EP. And then, um, yeah, when the track went off to get cut, Casper uh, came back to me and he said to me, you do realise this whole thing's mono, don't you? And I'm like, is it? And he's like, yeah, it's just straight mono, straight down the middle. And I'm like, well, I don't know how to use the EQ controls in my mixer and I don't know how to pan. I've got no idea what I'm actually doing. I just make sounds come out and press buttons and bash things until it sounds okay and then press record. I ended up doing three interface EPs and three audio assault EPs for Rising High, and I did some stuff on their sister label, Sappho, under the name of Space Cadet. And I was recording from Rising High from 1991 to 1993. Let us pray. Do you think you're right? 
doing sound and music for a video games company where I was in a, I was in a studio all day every day um, just making sound effects and writing music for these really terrible video games and it was um, the main games that I did back then that were really popular were like football management games and you just like crowd noises and whistles and this sort of stuff and, and it, it was just and then and uh, commentary and that sort of thing and then you'd spend a year converting it into all different languages like Portuguese and things like that and it, it was really really dire work ended up being seven years and um, and then I, I sort of came to the realization that I don't actually enjoy this and um, I prefer playing video games you know I prefer playing the games to making them and I'd stopped releasing any music which was the original reason I got into the whole thing and uh, I ended up actually leaving the games industry to get back into doing music. Uh, probably because off the back of my video game history, I was used to dealing with large amounts of sound files and projects that took a long time and keeping on top of it. I got a deal to produce sample CDs, which were quite a big thing in the late 90s, early 2000s. And uh, I was offered a deal to do um, a series of uh, house, techno and trance sample CDs. I would have to, I would spend about six months in the studio recording all of this stuff, but the upshot of it would be that I'd earn about a year's worth of salary um, once these things came out, churning out generic house, generic techno, generic trance, quite awful music really. But you know, at the time, it, to me it was a way to make a living and be recording at the same time. Um, but yeah, I got to the end of it and uh, things came out and uh, I was told that everything had sold out and it was doing really well. I mean, I got like, a Future Music Platinum Award for one of the libraries I created. Um, and I thought, wow, the numbers that you told me you were going to be producing, what it actually turned out is, is they were doing them in batches of a thousand. And all that had happened was the first batch had sold out. So me expecting to get paid 20 grand, uh, I actually got paid two grand. And the upshot of that was because of the bank loan that I'd taken out, um, I, I couldn't afford to pay it back and I ended up financially bankrupt. 
and my mental health just took an absolute dive at the time. It took a few years to get that, rather than rather than six months. Uh, got off the phone call, turned my equipment off, and just went, "That's it, I'm done." late 2010 that I decided to start making music again I just had no urge to make it anymore but then it was just I, I just remember that it was just one night um, I've been scouring YouTube and SoundCloud and just uh, listening to all this different stuff by all these people and I, and I just thought to myself I want to do it again and I just had this urge I just thought I, I just want to do it and um, I got on eBay and just started buying stuff I'd had a few drinks I must admit <laughs> woke up in the morning with a great big bill on my credit card but yeah I bought a few synths and a sampler and a mixer and went a bit crazy and I had to explain that to what was then my girlfriend at the time the next morning and then I mean we were living in a one bedroom flat at the time and we had no space or anything and I was buying all this kit and I was just storing it in the loft getting ready for when we moved into a house and then we moved into a house later that year and I just took over one of the rooms straight away and just started plugging all this stuff in that she'd never seen before you know we've been together for like we've been together four or five years at that point in time and she'd never known any of this side of me at all and all of a sudden i sort of like just disappeared into this room like a mad scientist and just didn't come out for hours and end uh, i mean this is something i really do completely on my own i don't uh, my wife's not into it my family's not into it uh, my wife's not even interested in talking about it i just i just it's my little thing that i disappear into my room and just do completely on my own and i'm quite happy with that
in the nearest building. If there is no building nearby, try to find some solid cover. If there is no solid cover, lie flat in a ditch or a hole and cover your head, face and hands as fast as you can with some of your clothes. If you hear the fallout warning, seek the nearest and best cover as quickly as you can. But before entering the building or cover, brush or shake off any fallout dust you may have picked up and get rid of it. Change your outer clothing if you can. Stay under cover. When the all-clear sounds, like this, it means that you are safe from attack or fallout for the time being and that you can go out there. But keep listening for further warnings or to your radio for further advice. Thank mm -hmm. you.